You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. Well, yesterday was a good day and a bit of a depressing day. We got the dog. Dog's awesome. Dog's great. Hasn't had a single accident in the house. Does not cause really any problems whatsoever. Just a good dog. Unfortunately, that was followed by trying to watch Family Night on YouTube TV only to find out they blocked it out. It's right there. I can see it. It says Packers Family Night. And then I go to click on it. It says, sorry, you can't stream this online. Why not? It's a local channel. I'm watching it on a local channel. I just want to access a local channel because I don't get it out in the boonies. I got a big antenna on the top of my house. I might have to readjust it and try to point it because you know, it's actually got a remote. You can move it around and stuff. It's pretty crazy. But like bunny ears don't work. Way too far away for bunny ears to pick anything up. So I don't have it. I don't have any local channels. The only local channels I have are YouTube TV. That's the whole reason I got it. But they're like, oh, no, no, we're, we're blocking this for online streaming. So I'm hoping the regular season games are not that way. Because I think when I was in Madison, I just watched it on regular TV. And then if there was like a, you know, Sunday night game, I could watch it on. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see what happens. But that made me not happy. Then we were doing some changes. And uh, kudos to Kevin from Packernet, who was uh, working real hard yesterday to try to do some updates. If you go to Packernet.com, you can find the podcast right on the homepage, which is um, hopefully going to direct a little bit more attention. I actually have some. I'm able to chart how many clicks and stuff are on there. So we're getting a little bit of traffic. But you got to understand, I had a suspicion. Essentially, we're kind of phasing out that entire podcast. The other podcast, the, the, the Packernet.com aggregate podcast, which used to have just a huge pile of podcasts on it, but now it's basically just me. I had a sneaking suspicion that maybe that would help my numbers a little bit. Well, very quickly, the numbers went up pretty high. And I got real excited, and I thought, this is going to be it. This is a life changer. This is amazing. And then the numbers got stupid high. And then they got even stupider high. And I'm like, all right, something's wrong. So I reached out to Kevin. He's like, oh, yeah. So what I did is I redirected the feed just to your feed instead of my feed. So I basically just re-downloaded. So for all the guys that, first of all, are still listening to that podcast, which I asked you not to do, you got to switch. Switch to my podcast because that one's probably going away. So if you're listening to my podcast, look at your phone right now. Does it say custom Green Bay Packers talk, whatever, whatever? Wrong podcast. This is Packernet Podcast. If it doesn't say Packernet Podcast and it says Custom Green Bay Packers Talk Radio Podcast, that's the wrong one. Stop listening to that. Go to the other one. Because this one's going to go bye-bye at some point. Because right now, it only serves one purpose, and that's to compete with myself, and that's counterproductive. Anyways, it basically treated it as all new episodes, because it's a new feed, even though it's the same episode. It's a new feed, so it doesn't know it's the same episode. It's like, oh, we got a huge pile of new episodes. So everybody's phone got blown up with however many episodes it was supposed to download. So Kevin, for example, says he has his set to download 20 episodes. So he got 20 new Packernet episodes and downloaded them all. And so my numbers went through the roof, and I'm sad. They're still high this morning, like today. But maybe some people are set to 
download in the morning. I don't know. So that was depressing because for, you know, you get that little five minute window of thinking, I think my life just changed forever. And then you realize, nope, same old, same old stuff. You have a uh, mediocre to subpar podcast still. Sorry. (laughs) Dang it. I was so ready to just be like, kids, get in the car. We're driving to Florida. I don't care. Taking some unpaid vacation because I don't need it. But apparently that's not, that's not what happened. Anyways, Packers Family Night was last night. I did get to watch it on my phone. Uh, I found an app where you can watch local channels, and that worked. That, for some reason, wasn't blocked. I was streaming it on my phone, so (laughs) I don't know. But anyways, that was that. It was awesome, though. I have not seen them do that style of practice in a very long time, and I'm super glad that Matt LaFleur brought it back. I really thought it was going to be less than that. Like, it was going to be one series, and then they were done. It was pretty much the whole practice. I don't know what they were planning on doing, because they kind of cut it short with all the rain and everything else. I don't know if it was supposed to be that much or if there was going to be more, but basically, if Matt LaFleur is just bringing that back, I'm going to be excited. And I was really worried that somebody was going to get hurt, Matt was going to get angry, and then we would never see it again. The fact that it was raining, they still did it, and nobody got hurt is awesome, and I'm very pumped for the possibility that this may just be back. You know, we'll do a little bit of the silliness, you know, punting and throwing balls and nets, which by the way, I just want to remind everybody because Aaron Rodgers, he'll throw the ball in the little net and everyone's like, people act surprised like this is new. It is new. He almost never makes it. (laughs) I remember when I went to family night, Rodgers, I don't know if he made any, he might've made one. Tim Boyle won that competition. Tim Boyle made more than, than Rodgers did. It's very rare that anybody ever makes it, including Aaron Rodgers. I mean, of course he makes like one, maybe two, he was hitting like 50%, which is ridiculously rare. People are acting like, oh yeah, well, Rodgers hits it all the time. And my son was mad that the other guys were missing. Like, they're bad at throwing. I'm like, no, dude, trust me. Rodgers doesn't usually hit this many. Like, it's not that if you miss it, you're bad. If you make it, that's shocking. He was, Rodgers was just ridiculously on fire. So let's not get that perspective mixed up. Usually Rodgers makes them all. No, he absolutely does not. That is an insanely difficult throw. And obviously, it's very difficult to uh, gauge how well some people did, but a couple observations. And I did throw that um, the uh, post up in the Facebook group. Didn't get a ton, mostly just people begging for links <laughs> for, for, the, uh, for the stream. But uh, Mike Evans said, it looks like we missed Funches last year. Funches absolutely tore it up. I mean, he was the guy that was open all day long. Um, you know, I don't know if it was just a scheme thing where the defense just kept losing him because of his specific role or what the deal was, but the guy was just open a lot, and he caught everything that was thrown at him. Uh, Justin Connor said, Devontae had another drop or two on 11 versus 11. Good coverage, but absolutely catchable balls. That is true, and it, it's one of those things they've, the other reporters have mentioned that uh, he generally has some drops around this time of year, but then cleans it up. Um, I don't really remember that, but I trust that they're correct in that. And I'm kind of thinking it's sort of like Rodgers' interceptions, but not really because Rodgers is throwing interceptions because he's throwing passes he wouldn't in a regular season game. He's trying to force things and whatever. Devontae, I mean, what are you trying to practice? Nothing. It's just he's not, I guess the focus isn't quite there. But um, yeah, there was a pick by Darnell Savage that absolutely shouldn't have been a pick. It should have been a big gain. Um, So I don't know. Just trust that it gets cleaned up as the season rolls on. And then Sean Gill says, hard to give any real feedback with it being in the middle of a storm, which is also true. There were some passes that didn't seem super great. It's kind of hard to judge the passes in particular, and I guess the drops also, but got to keep that in mind that it's very slippery out there. So even some of these passes that were a little bit off, it's 
it's tough. I mean, even even Rogers talks about how he's had to learn, you know, whether it's in the cold how to grip the ball, in the rain how to grip. I mean, it's it's an art form to learn how to play with a wet ball or a cold or hot or any of these different things. It changes everything. You know, elevation. These things come with time. So um, it's kind of ridiculous to think that that's basically Jordan Love and Kurt Banker. Well, Kurt Kurt's probably played before uh, Love has, like more recently, as far as preseason and whatnot. But um, that was like Jordan Love's first action. Well, not really. He's been doing eleven on elevens this whole time, but in front of a in front of a crowd and stuff, being in the rain. But yeah, that that also makes it a little bit difficult to evaluate anything. Uh, Sean says everyone's going crazy about the love throw, and it was amazing on a just straight athletic bar. But in my opinion, the accuracy and decision to throw it in double coverage was a bad one. He still looks pretty good out there. See, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's there's two different things. Number one, was anybody else open? This is basically what Jordan Love had to do at uh, in college constantly because nobody's open. And he had to force throws. Secondly, again, it's preseason or you know training camp. You force a lot of throws in training camp. It's just what you do. Rodgers does the same thing. So was there a better decision? Maybe. I don't know. But at the end of the day, all I know is he felt the need to force a throw. And that was one of the more, I'm not going to look negatively at one of the best throws I've seen in a very long time. I mean, that basically grazed the fingertips of two defenders and hit our wide receiver in the hand while a guy was draped on his back. That throw could not have been any more perfect. And you got the rain, you've got pressure, and it was a deep ball. I don't remember how many yards it was, but that was, that was a, that was a heave. Um, I do think Jordan Love had like one bad pass. It was, a lot of his passes seemed a little bit further than it needed to be. Like Funches kind of had to reach and toe tap when he was kind of wide open, but still a good pass. And he had one that I think kind of went flying too far. It was like maybe his first throw, but he kind of settled in. But after that, it looked like he hit just about everybody. And then again, um, that pass, if that was caught, that was the ultimate highlight. I mean, that if 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 that pass was caught, that's everywhere. I mean, that might be on national television right now. And to be, you know what the funny thing about that is? I was watching, um, me and Blaine were watching the uh, Jordan Love. We were just watching like all the games and we, we were just on a, like a Zoom call together just watching his games. That was our impression of Jordan Love all throughout college. He would have had nothing but incredible highlights, but his receivers dropped everything. I mean, they could not catch a ball to save their lives. There were so many highlight throws that never became highlights because it was a drop. It was an incompletion and you don't make highlights out of incompletions. So... One of the perks of running with second team, I guess. Uh, Adams and Rodgers had some connection mistakes, but that throw to Tunyon was just beautiful. Tunyon, yeah, man, Tunyon was another one. I mean, it just seems like it's working. You know what I mean? Like the the scheme of it, the design of the plays, um, being in sync, scheming them open, the throw, the catch. It just seems like it's going to be one of those things that just works, you know? Um, as far as Devontae, they did have the one miscommunication in the end zone. I mean, again, like like you said earlier, it's just, or as, as Justin said, it's really not something I'm super worried about. Um, those two have such a great connection. I don't know exactly what went on there. I'm guessing that's one of those like scramble, scramble drill thing, right? It broke down and Roger's understanding of what to do in that situation and Devontae's understanding were just not on the same page. It's not like a design of the play. The play had already broken down. He got to the end zone. He was covered. Rogers threw to an open area and Devontae didn't run to the open area is, is kind of what I thought. Uh, defense looked pretty good considering they were not allowed to tackle at all. They even won all three two-minute drills. Yeah, yes and no. There were way too many guys wide open, and pretty much anything we ran to the outside ran for about eight yards. They had no ability to cover to the outside. Uh, I don't know if it's the linebackers or what, or the edge guys not sealing the edge, but pretty much any jet sweep, end around, screen, whatever, it just annihilated the defense. 
The runs were mostly, I would say, the defense did a good job. There were a couple runs that seemed like chunk plays, but it's hard to tell if the guy would have gone down or not. I do specifically remember TJ Slayton just absolutely stonewalling a play. That was great to see. Also looked like the pass rush was pretty solid. I don't think half of those passes get completed. Um, there was even one, I don't know if, I think it would, I don't know if it was Rodgers or Love, but um, I remember it was a pretty good pass. I think it was Love. I think it was the one where actually where uh, Funches had to stretch out and catch it and toe tap or whatever. But I was thinking, all right, nice play. And then you watch the replay from behind center, you know, that camera angle. And somebody came screaming up the middle and just, you know, just ran past. So, I mean, he would have got smoked. So it's pretty exciting. I mean, um, you know, Stokes looked like he got kind of worked again. Jair looked fantastic. I mean, he just lit everybody. He would not let anything go his way. He was, I mean, it's it's so crazy. And I talked about it before. You got the number one quarterback and number one wide receiver going against the number one corner. It really seems like Rodgers and Devontae cannot cannot work that side of the field. Like, they just really have a hard time. I mean, some of those completions to Devontae might have been against Jair. I don't know. The ones I saw were against Stokes. But it just seems like when they try to go to Jair's side, he does not let them catch anything. He's just, I mean, we'll see what happens in the regular season, but he just seems like he's in peak form. And to think that he might be that good of a player. And the only time I really remember that ever happening was Richard Sherman. When we went up against Richard Sherman in his prime, we just, we couldn't make it work. And I remember the one time, like, Roger said he was going to test him, he threw a pick to Richard Sherman. Otherwise, they just threw away from him the whole game. So I'm, I'm not going to go to that level, but, I mean, that's, that's the only example I can think of of a time when a corner was just, like, not letting Rodgers to Devontae work at all, or Rodgers to whoever his number one at the time is. I think at the time it was Jordy. Not positive. Don't quote me on that. I'm just, I don't, I, again, my memory is garbage. Packers history is not my thing, and by history I mean as far back as last year. But uh, yeah, thank you for all the observations and the uh, thoughts. Uh, As far as my own thoughts, quarterback, I think it ranked exactly as it is. I think Rodgers was clearly the best quarterback. Then it would be Love. Then it would be Benkert. Um, At running back, Aaron Jones looked fantastic. That move he made on that little little pass to the outside, just cutting to the... I mean, that was just so smooth. Um, I don't think I saw A.J. Dillon once, which was kind of strange. Maybe I just missed it. He might have been out there for some passing plays or something. I don't really know. But I didn't see him really run the ball at all. Maybe he was out there when the when the feed went down. But as far as the number three running back, I really think Patrick Taylor was the top guy. He looked really smooth. He looked really intelligent with what he was doing, like running in the right directions. But he also has just a ton of power. He's a big dude. Um, I would say Kylan Hill would be next. Didn't look overly amazing, but he seems like he has a good amount of speed. And Dexter, I love Dexter. But every time he touched the ball, he just kind of reminded me of like year one Jamal Williams, where it was mostly just run straight into a pile of guys and, you know, then the whistle gets blown. Really wasn't, I mean, you know, and again, it's, well, maybe there was nowhere to go. I, I don't know. I used to think that about the Packers all the time. Back in the decades, not, I mean, I'm exaggerating, but decades of just no running game to speak of at all. I remember I used to blame the offensive line. Like, well, there's just nowhere to go. I mean, they run forward and there's no hole. So what are they supposed to do? And then we drafted Eddie Lacy, and the guy just seemed to run right through holes that I could, because, you know, the, the camera angle is to the side. So if there's a, a, a lane, I mean, it, you know, if, it, if it's a big enough hole, you can drive a Mack truck through fine, but usually it's not that way. Usually there's a lane, and from that side angle, you can't really see it. Eddie Lacy was able to find him, and he just goes shooting through, and it looks like there's a pile of guys, and somehow he squeaks through to the other side. It's because there are lanes, and there are holes, and he just knew how to run through them. So just based on what I saw, I would say it's Patrick Taylor, then Kylan Hill, then Dexter. Uh, other thoughts on receivers, Alan Lazard, I didn't really see him do much. I know he had, he's had another pass that was broken up, um, by Jair. MVS had a couple good grabs. 
saw Tompkins quite a bit. I mean, I know it was, I think it was with third team. I'm not positive, but they were using him. Offensive line, defensive line, I really didn't get a chance to watch. I tried to watch Rashawn like once. It was after they were talking him up and how good he's going to be. Because it's, it's just kind of hard to tell who's who out there. Between the camera angle and then rotating guys in and out all the time, I just, it was really hard to get a grasp. And plus, it's just, I couldn't pull my eyes off the actual play and trying to see who was going to, you know, I, I, I just, I, I'm just starving for action. So I want to see the run. I want to see the pass. I just had a hard time focusing on the trenches. But again, I, I caught Tadaryl Slayton, make a stop. I saw Rashawn try to get a pass rush after that. He didn't really do anything, but it was the ball was out really fast. I will say, and, and maybe it's just, the again, the camera angle or something, he looked massive to me. When they took that one shot of him, they were speaking of Rashawn Gary, but, but whatever, I don't know if you remember that. I remember looking at him like, dude, did he put on like 30 pounds of muscle? What the heck is this? I don't know. He, he looked, because he, he looked kind of lean. I know he's a big dude. I know he's jacked. But as far as like defensive ends and, and all that stuff, he doesn't look massively thick I pfft, he looked giant but he also I think he had like his jersey up and his sleeves rolled I mean he was, maybe he's showing off I don't know he just looked a lot bigger to me uh tight ends again Tunyon uh obviously looks like he's just he's ready to go Sternberger they also got moving a little bit I know he got out and got that one reception that I remember he was also a lead blocker on one of the bigger uh I don't remember if it was an end around or what exactly it was but he got out and was blocking on that that looked pretty nice I don't really remember any of the other I know I think it was Kalfusi had the one drop. That was another kind of highlight throw by Benkert, I think it was, that he dropped. I know some of the other guys were out there. I don't really remember any specific highlights. Otherwise, you know, defense, again, it was really hard to to gauge. I know Ento had a pretty good day. Looks like King is still not practicing. Stokes, again, I didn't really see him do anything. Again, it's hard to gauge on a down-to-down basis. And, and corner is one of those positions where if you give up a pass once, that's all we remember. You know, we if, if the quarterback is looking your way and then sees good coverage and looks the other way and throws a pass, we don't know that that just happened. I mean, I don't know. Most people just watching a game don't observe that and say, dude, that was a great play by Stokes, right? So I don't know. It would, you know, if anybody taped it, you can go back and try to watch each individual guy. But I didn't necessarily see anything that stood out as positive. Again, Jair was fantastic. Um, safeties are tough. And this is also why it's kind of hard to gauge I know some of those completions, I know one Savage was literally just standing there because he can't just start gunning it at a guy, you know? You're risking hurting somebody. So I think the safeties are more or less told. If a guy's coming at you, maybe you can try to make a play on it, but it's really not worth risking it. I think it was like uh, Funches was coming across, and I remember Savage just literally just standing there. Now, maybe if he was in better position, he would have run up and tried to catch it or something. But again, it's kind of hard to gauge as far as how good of a job they did when half the time they're kind of just like, you know, I can't just run up and pop a guy. I think even in like live tackling period, which Savage, I don't even think was out there for that. That was like third team or something. Even that, I don't think they want safeties gunning it from, from you know, 20 yards deep and just smoking a guy. So I think they largely were kind of hanging back. I didn't really see the linebackers do anything, but even them, you know, again, it would be nice to see them get to the outside a little bit better. But when you're not doing live tackling, what exactly is your job as a linebacker? You know what I mean? I mean, I guess in coverage, but Again, I can't gauge. I didn't see any pass breakups or interceptions, and I can't gauge when you do a good job and the ball just doesn't go your way. Um, I have seen uh, at least one other article praising Chandon Sullivan. I think it was, let me give credit here, trying to find an article on basically this. Uh, This is from uh, Zach Cruz, five standouts from Packers Family Night Scrimmage. I would have thought there was like 19 articles of that. There's one article recapping scrimmage in 19 about Devin Funches saying a bad word, like... (laughs) Come on, guys. What exactly is your job here? Shaking your fist at Funches saying, don't say bad words, or five standouts from Packers Family Night Scrimmage. I feel like 
the latter is more your job, but I guess you got the highlight you were after. Congratulations, everybody. But he highlighted Chandon Sullivan, and this is what he had to say. The likely starter in the slot had terrific coverage on at least three different plays during team period. Early on, he blanketed Randall Cobb on a third-down throw down the seam. Later, he had Alan Lazard well-covered on a post and then took away Devontae Adams in the end zone on the final play in two-minute period, winning the round for the defense. So um, I, I think I've seen this and maybe somewhere else kind of doing a recap saying Chandon basically locked up the job. And good for him, man. I mean, he's he's been... He's one of those guys that I remember even PFF was giving him good grades and stuff. And for a while, I think he was our top corner, you know, before Jair really broke out and all that. And it's like, I'm telling you, this guy's actually pretty good. And he's just been one of those guys that you kind of assume you're just trying to replace because, you know, we just don't have anybody, but eventually we'll find somebody better. But he's just been solid. He just keeps doing his job. And we we actually brought in a guy, drafted a guy to uh, possibly take that job. And it looks like you know, not surprisingly, I don't expect a rookie, especially a late round rookie to come in and replace Chandon on day one. But um, I just I don't also think it's really necessary. Now, he's not an elite lockdown corner, but he's just solid. You know what I mean? You just don't have to worry about him. You never have days where it's like, dude, Chandon just lost us that game. What a bum. I've never said that sentence in my life. I'm sure he's had bad plays. I, I do. I think I do remember one game where he kind of got picked on a little bit, but it's it's just rare. I mean, he just does his job. Um, the, the announcers, by the way, were calling him Shamar John Charles. Again, we'll see what Shamar has to say, but if you go back and watch his college tape, all the announcers said Gene Charles. So I was like, I guess it's Gene Charles. I don't know. That's usually how I learned to say guys' names as I listen to announcers when I watch them in college. They all said Gene Charles. So maybe they were just using the phonetic pronunciation. But anytime you see a name like that, I would have thought it was Jean Charles, which I guess in a more American, a, a more Americanized version of Jean. Like the French Jean would be John, right? So it makes sense. Maybe he said Jean and everyone's like, oh, he said John, which is not what he said. Again, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. It's one of those things in two years, he's going to be like, you guys have been saying my name wrong this whole time. Like Tanyan and everything else. Kels. How many years has Kels been in the NFL before anyone realized we've been saying his name wrong? Somebody needs to tell me to stop refreshing the stats on this podcast. It's so depressing. Do you want to know what my numbers are right now? 50,000. <laughs> 50,000. I think the highest I've ever had is like 5,000. Do you understand how... uh, You have no idea what 50,000 in a day would do, do you? This is the most depressing thing. I'm so upset. I mean, I'm I'm not kidding. Yesterday when I realized that this was all fake, I was like, I'm not doing the podcast tomorrow. I'm that upset about it. I'm just not doing it. And then I was like, oh, you can't not do a recap of family night. This is so painful. And I'm going to have to reach out to the guys and be like, just so you know, these are kind of fake numbers. You probably shouldn't pay me for this. 100,000 in a month is a pretty good month. I got 50,000 today. Hate today. Let's just say if these numbers were real, I would make about as much as my annual salary at my real job in about two months. So do you understand how depressing this is? To actually think for just a, just a second, maybe it's real, man. Maybe there was a glitch and now it's fixed. Stupid. Stupid. Oh, this hurts. Anyways, back to reality. Big O's gravity, whatever. I don't know. I don't know the thing. I don't know. I don't know the thing. Anyways, I guess we'll take a break right here. Don't really think I had any more observations. Breaking news. Darius Leonard just signed a $19.85 million per year contract. I don't know exactly what the details are, but that's insane. We got a linebacker making almost 20 million. I guess Fred Warner already made 19, but it's well-deserved, man. That's a great linebacker right there. It's still hard to wrap your head around how, you know, when things change. I feel like 20 million is way too much for a linebacker, but I mean, you got wide receivers making over 25. Tackles are getting to that range, 25. It's it's We're moving, man. Things are on the move. Anyways, again, we'll take a break. 
we'll come back and uh, look at a couple other things that I've been sitting on for a while. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So again, I've been kind of sitting on this for a while, so it's going to seem kind of out of left field, but I want to address it so I can get it out of my queue. Um, and this has been brought up by a couple people. So I want to just address it and give my thoughts. Um, and it doesn't look like I put down who said this. So somebody in the Facebook group, thank you for the thoughts. He says, Andy Herman said on his podcast something that struck a chord. He said something like, quote, if you hadn't listened to the media all summer, you would have just thought that Rodgers is back in training camp and looks like they restructured his contract, makes you think. Yeah, (laughs) that's true. You would have a misunderstanding of the situation. Personally, I don't want a misunderstanding of the situation. I want to understand the situation. So I, I, I feel like the implication here, and I didn't listen to Andy Herman say it, but I feel like the implication here is again to point at the media made this up, which is again, not true. All of this is real. It's true that if you didn't know the backstory, it would seem a certain way, but that's not the correct way to view it. And, and maybe you don't care. And it's like, we could have just been, um, you know, blind to it. And uh, then it would seem like everything's fine we, up until the point where he gets traded next year and everybody's just shocked. Like, well, I thought everything was great. He restructured and we were all good. Why are they trading him? I don't understand. Right, that's when things get confusing. But I kind of thought of thought of it in terms of another analogy. 
So imagine you're on a long road trip, right? And you ever taken real long road trips, you realize people get real tired. And sometimes you end up switching off. And I remember the one time I switched with my wife because I was super tired and I could not sleep because I was so scared that she was going to like fall asleep and we were going to crash and die. I just, I couldn't sleep. There's no way. But all that aside, let's pretend that you pass out and your significant other, your brother, your buddy, whoever is driving and they doze off. They fall asleep behind the wheel and the car drifts off into the other lane and a truck swerves off the road to avoid crashing into you, which startles the person driving. They jerk the car back into the correct lane and that snaps you awake and you look and what do you see? Nothing. We're driving on the road. We're going straight ahead. You look over at the driver. They're wide awake, 10 and 2, maybe a little bit of sweat going down their brow, but you don't notice anything. So you look at them, you're like, you're good? And you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm good. And you're like, all right, and you go back to sleep. Now, maybe you don't want to know what just happened, but I think that would be stupid. I want to know because I need to tell that person, get off the road now. Because either we both need to just call it and go to sleep, or I'm taking over, or we got to get you some coffee, or we got we to do something. Things are not okay. And pretending that that didn't just happen doesn't fix the problem. The problem is still there. We have to actually fix the problem. So again, if, if, if your goal is to just be blind to it and say, I wish I just didn't ever know about it, fine, then stop watching the news. But it's not a reality that it didn't actually happen. That's not true. It did happen. All this stuff is real. The problems do exist, right? I mean, think about it. Which sentence, based on that analogy I just gave, which thing makes the most sense? Number one, your partner almost killed you both. She's tired. He's tired, whatever. And we need to pull over and sleep. Or two, everything's fine. Which one is accurate? Which one makes the most sense? Which sentence would you use? It's like one of those reading comprehension tests. Obviously, number one is the correct answer. So if you don't want to actually know anything, if you don't want any of the extra drama and any of that stuff, and you want to just enjoy football games, stop paying attention. If you want information, you have to pay attention. And there's going to be some bad information. There's going to be some good information, and you got to sift through it. But let's not muddy the water so much that we can delude ourselves into thinking that nothing actually happened here. Look, he's back and everything's fine. Everybody has acknowledged that's not the reality. Aaron Rodgers has acknowledged it. The Packers have acknowledged it. Every single player on this team that's talked about it has acknowledged it. Jordan Love saying he had to prepare as though he was going to be the starter. Mercedes Lewis saying he got scared that he wasn't going to come back. Rodgers even saying himself, it wasn't until the last couple days he decided that he figured it out. The team saying we didn't really make any progress. He didn't really think he was coming back until like the last week when they started actually making progress and thinking, all right, I think he might come back. So I guess it depends on you and your personality, but this statement of if you hadn't listened to the media, you would have just thought Rodgers is back in training camp, it doesn't make me think. I mean, it, it's, it's a, I guess, somewhat of an interesting thought that it's a good thing the media told us because, yeah, I would have a really deluded thought of what's going on. But I don't want, I personally don't want that. I want to know what's going on. It's, it's maybe just because I have a podcast and my whole goal here is to understand and relay information and to have informed opinions. And I'm going to have some real bad opinions if I don't understand what's actually going on. Just my thought. Anyways, this is also sitting in the queue, so it's going to seem random, but uh, here it is. Again, this is a little highlight, a little collage that the Packers put together. It was a few days ago, but it's a few sound bites of people describing the Packers defense that I thought was pretty cool. So I want to play that for you right quick. It's definitely different. It's it's not really like any of the other defenses that I've faced over the years in practice. You know, I think they're doing a good job of 
of uh, disguises. I think guys are playing a little more free at, at, in various spots. I think they do a really good job of disguising and rocking and rolling, you know, kind of post-snap and, you know, they're passing a lot of things off, knowing um, what, what we try to do and what we do well as offense. You know, there's been multiple times where I've come up on a throw and, and looking at a guy and kind of pulled it because I saw a flash out of my eye. You're seeing these guys kind of run all over the place, which is, is definitely difficult even for an, an older quarterback like myself. Anyway, sorry for that obnoxious music. I wish it wasn't playing in the background, but it is. But um, there's that. Again, I kind of commented it on already, and, and we'll see how it how it goes. Um, you know, I mean, I could go out there and be defensive coordinator and make him just do stupid stuff, and it would probably confuse Aaron Rodgers, right? <laughs> At the end of the day, it's got to actually serve a function. And I'm not saying that's what's happening, but you even, you even if you ever watch poker, I think about this all the time, really inexperienced players are sometimes really hard for pros to go against. Because, I mean, they're gonna, the pros are going to beat them eventually anyways because the inexperienced players are stupid, but they're really hard to play against because the entire basis of what these guys do is understanding, you know, using the uh, process of deduction to figure out what your hand is. I know you don't have these many piles of hands because you would have acted differently. So it's down to like two or three hands. But if you're just kind of winging it, like you should have bet and then you didn't, they're all thrown off because what they're doing as the hand goes on is they're eliminating hands that you have. So if you should have bet because you got a, let's say you got a pair of kings and you just, you know, you just call and then it comes around to you again and it's like, uh, you know, two, four, five comes on the flop and you still got a pair of kings, meaning you really have a very strong hand and you need to start pushing some of these people who are waiting around like for a, a straight or whatever out of the hand and you just check. Nobody's thinking you got a pair of kings. And so somebody might put you on kind of a weak hand or, you know, you're, they're probably thinking you're waiting for that straight. You know, you got a five something in your hand or whatever. I don't, I don't remember what I said the flop was, but you get the point. And so they're thinking you were trying to hit a straight and you missed it. And now I'm going to go over the top and you got a pair of kings in your hand and you end up taking the pot. That's going to throw them off. Like, wh why are you so stupid? If you watch Dave Helmuth, like he, that's his biggest thing. Every time he loses, it's not because he was wrong. It's because I didn't think you had that hand because you didn't play your hand right for that hand. If you had played it right, I would have known what you had in your hand, but you didn't play it right, and so he gets all mad about it. So anyways, 52,000. 52,000. We're at 52,000. But anyways, um, yeah, we, we just got to see it all come together, right? I, I understand that it's confusing and it's weird, but does it does it serve a, a purpose that actually works in, in, in its role of shutting down offenses? That's what we got to figure out, because confusing is great, but it, you know, at the end of the day, confusing isn't good enough on its own. You know, having Rodgers go to throw a pass and then see somebody and like, why is that guy standing over there? That might be great, but it might also be horrible. <laughs> why Why is he standing over there? That's a great question. Anyways, I'm more than confident that we can cut it off here because it's a Sunday podcast, but I want to get to at least one question because I've been, you know, I asked for these a long time ago. I haven't even addressed one of them. About half of these questions are about Randall Cobb, but we'll go to the very end here with Eric Munn. He says, uh, we know Cobb was brought in at the request of Rodgers. We also know he's not getting cut. Every receiver in the locker room knows that too. How do you think that affects those on the bubble? Someone will get cut because of it. Is it really competition if the other guy is making the team regardless? Um, it's not like he was brought in because they didn't like what they had. I think it's a that is a fair point. So, so kind of two ends of this coin. On one side, Cobb definitely, and you kind of alluded to this, Cobb definitely is not going to make the team just because Rodgers likes him. He's arguably, possibly the second best guy we have on this team. I mean, again, if we just go off of PFF grades, you got... Funchess was, I think, the highest graded guy. Then closely behind him was Lazard. 
Cobb is probably in that Funchess range, possibly a little bit better. But we basically got three guys that are like right in that 70 range, which is pretty solid. However, the other side of that coin is that, yes, yeah, somebody's going to get cut. And I do think that's part of the frustration for Gutekunst. And I, that is something else I've brought up. I mean, there, there are a lot of guys. It's not just we're, we're cutting guys because we hate people. When you cut somebody, you give somebody else an opportunity. And there's another one of these wide receivers, whether it possibly Winfrey, who's been very impressive. Um, one of these guys that possibly could have made it, that now is not going to make it. And so I, I hope that Randall Cobb is a, a net benefit to the team. Obviously, you'd rather have Cobb than a guy like Winfrey, but also remember that there's, you know, you're benching Amari a lot of the time. I mean, you're benching somebody. Well, no, we'll have them both on the field at the same time. Well, fine, then it's Funches that's on the bench or Lazard that's on the Somebody's going to be sitting on the bench when Randall Cobb is on the field that would not have been on, that would have been on the field. So there, there are negatives to all this, but you just hope that it's a net positive more so than anything else. You hope that, you know, Matt LaFleur doesn't have to forcibly put Cobb into the system when really he didn't have anything designed for a guy like Randall Cobb. He wants a guy like, and Gutekunz also wants a guy like Amari. They want their slot guy to be a monster. Randall Cobb's not a monster. He's more of a, a I don't want to say throwback because you still have slot guys like this, but more of the, the old school, you know, slot guys are five foot nine, 190 pounds, and they're kind of quick twitchy guys. Now slot guys are 6'1", 230 pounds, pure muscle, and they just catch passes. And it's like a, a basically a running back running at uh, cornerbacks, and it's just not a fair matchup. In fact, I think a big part of the reason they started going for the big slots is because of guys like Randall Cobb who were hurt a lot, and they just realized that it wasn't, wasn't ideal. But you may end up having what you might have is a very similar role, let's say, between Cobb and Amari as you have with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. We like Aaron Jones very talented, by all accounts better than A.J. Dillon as a running back, but also not the kind of guy that you can force feed a lot of work to. He's not as as sturdily built. I mean, granted, an ACL is an ACL if something like that's going to happen, but they, they don't break down quite as easily. And so you have an A.J. Dillon that can handle a heavy workload, but you also got the Aaron Jones to do some other stuff. So I, I, I still think it's going to be a net gain, but I do think there are some positives, and I can understand the frustration from a guy like, you know, Matt LaFleur or, or uh, Brian Gutekunst saying, you know, we had a plan, we got all this figured out, we got to rework our 53, we got to re- rework, I mean, kind of last minute our uh, offensive playbook, you know, Amari's not going to get as much time, uh, it's, it's kind of putting us on our heels a little bit, but you know, you got to do what you got to do to bring back Rodgers, so it is what it is, but I mean, th- there are bigger, much more dire issues that the Packers face right now than, you know, possibly losing a guy like Winfrey and um, redshirting Amari for a year. And not completely redshirting, but you know what, kind of like A.J. Dillon was redshirted. He's not going to get as much, um, probably not going to get as much time as, as we were thinking he would, or as the Packers were planning for him to get. But anyways, I am going to leave it at that. I'm going to go back and stare at these numbers and cry. Think of what could have been. Speaking of, a lot of people in the world, there's a lot of Packer fans. If you know anybody that is a Packer fan that really doesn't either listen to podcasts or doesn't know about this podcast, if you wouldn't mind sharing the information, just telling them to, to give it a shot, check it out, subscribe. You know, I'm, I'm pretty far away from where I need to be, but in the grand scheme of what percentage of total Packer fans I need to just tune in once in a while to this show, it is such a minuscule, ridiculously small percentage. There's no reason why, I'm not talking about the 50,000 numbers, those are kind of stupid. I don't think anybody's getting that in, in the team space, but uh, you know, I got Patreon. If you want to support me on a month-to-month basis, that's fantastic, and I really appreciate that. If you want to leave an iTunes review, I appreciate that. If you want to donate to Palmer Home, I appreciate that. The number one thing you can do if you want to help me, find 10 people, get them listening to the podcast. 
That's your, your, your whole mission for helping me is 10 people. If you can do that, we're good to go. But anyways, you folks have yourselves a fantastic Sunday. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.